today we're going to talk about the church, and it has two meanings. One, it means the church that you're sitting in, and the programs, and the outreach, and all the things that we're doing as the church, but it also means you. Look at somebody next to you and say, hey, he's talking to you this morning. Just tell somebody that. He's talking to you this morning. Uh, Tell somebody else, you are the church. Just remind them of that. You are the church he's speaking about. Because as Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, begins to talk to his just disciples, he's charging them with something pretty amazing about how to actually impact the community. This morning, the subtitle will be a church that is an extension of God's love and his light. So for me, in order to transform this community, which I am all about, and I love to see that happen, we do that by being the love and the light of Jesus to the world around us. How do we then take the gospel, which is still good news, by the way, to take the good news gospel message into the darkest places of the triangle? How do we take it into our schools and our neighborhoods and our workplaces? How do we see true life and light enter into a very, very dark culture and a very dark world that's around us? And I'm excited to be a part of that, and I know that you are as well. So we're going to read in Matthew chapter 5. We have verse 13 to 16 as our main text this morning. And there's kind of two parts to the message. Part one is salt. Everybody say salt. Part two, come on. Everybody say salt. There you go. That was much better. Part two is lights. Everybody say lights. There we go. We're going to talk about salt and light. And I've got five sub points that are woven between the two of practical action steps. Whenever I hear Jesus tell us to go be salt and light, my follow-up is, well, how do we actually do that? Because what I don't want to do is just get up and say, well, go be salt and go be light all done, just go do it. How do we practically do this where God has placed us? I think this morning is going to help all of us do that and accomplish what Jesus has told us to do. So here we go, starting in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, right now, we just thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship, to fellowship, to make connections, to have community. But Lord, above all, we pray that our hearts and our minds will be open to your word. Lord, I pray this morning that we don't see one another that we just don't hear another message, but Jesus, we see you this morning, and that your Holy Spirit would speak and challenge and move and convict where needed. So Lord, we just open our hearts and our minds to you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, do you believe that a church can transform a city? All right, the front half do. It will get to the back half in the next 20 minutes. Like really, do you really believe, do you believe that the gospel is powerful enough to use people like us to transform the triangle? I hope so. I I do that. I I believe. I believe that the gospel itself, right, so not Andy George, not Crossroads, not your name, but the gospel, the good news, is powerful enough to be somebody just like us to go change this area. There's a song that came out years and years ago from the Williams Brothers that's been redone and requoted multiple times, and in their song, they have a quote that I love. I heard this years ago, and I've always loved this statement. It says this, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save everybody. I love that statement. I'm going to read it again. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save everybody. 
And that's kind of what we're all about. It's not about our name or our fame or being in the lights or our name in headlines. It's just we're just a bunch of people that want to tell everybody about somebody named Jesus that is willing to save every single person on the face of this planet. Come on. If that doesn't get you going, if that doesn't give you purpose in what we're supposed to do, I don't know what will. That's what we're called to do. I want us to be a people and a church like in Acts 17.6. In Acts chapter 2, the church is formed. This is post-Pentecost. They're out in the street. There's awe. There's signs. There's wonders. Miracles are happening. Salvations are happening by the thousands. And this is what the disciples became known as. And I pray this in all the best ways possible, that this is what our church and you are known for. Acts 17.6, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Come on, let's be a people that goes into culture and turns it upside down for Jesus. Are you with me this morning on that? Like, let's go into the world and take this world and shake it and turn it upside down so that the gospel good news can penetrate the dark places of this planet, of our culture. And that's what we're called to do. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is challenging his disciples. You have to be salt and you have to be light. If you're going to see transformation happen, that still is the same thing. We have to be salt we have to be light. So number one, salt. So why does Jesus talk about salt? And, and I want to make some, some corrections maybe in how you've read this verse maybe before. I, I think this is another one of those verses that you've probably read, you've probably heard preached on a gazillion times, and almost every time you hear it, more than likely you've heard about, well, just add a little bit of salt into a circumstance. Just be kind, just say nice words, just take a little, not too much salt, just a little bit of salt, and add it to wherever you are, and then you're going to make it better. Like, how many of you have heard that before? Right? That's kind of the, the sermon that you normally hear out of this. When you actually look culturally, though, at what was happening, and why would Jesus talk about salt, here's a good reason why. They didn't have refrigerators in the Middle East. There's no freezers. How do you think they kept meat from rotting? What do you think they did? They used salt. So when Jesus is actually explaining this, is it true that he's also speaking about our kindness and the way we speak? Absolutely. But more so, it was about preserving rotting flesh. So the way that they would keep meat fresh is they would take a lot of salt and they would rub it into every area of the meat so that it would stay fresh and not rot. And that's what Jesus is telling us to do. So then how do we actually take that much salt into our world to keep it from rotting away? France said it this way, disciples, if they are true to their calling, will make the earth a purer and more palatable place. I like what Hugh said about this. He says that apart from Jesus, sin will decay humanity. And this is what Jesus is speaking about. Jesus knows that without him, that humanity is decaying from the inside out due to sin. And so he's charging his listeners to go into the world, into a dying culture, and introduce life. This is the purpose behind why he's saying to go be salt in life, Jesus recognized then and even in our day that this culture is rotting, that sin has come in and festered and made what was beautiful absolutely rotting from the inside out. This world tends towards composition and it's actually rotting away. When the world left to itself, it festers, it putrefies, the germs of evil are everywhere present and active. I love what he says about the world began as a perfect creation. Adam and Eve in the garden, it was absolutely perfection. But when sin came, decay set in, and as a result, the world became rotten. We live in a world that constantly tends towards decay. Church, this is why it is important for us to go be the church, because this world is decaying. Sin came in, and it festers, and it putrefies, and it rots, 
And this is what happens in a sinful life, by the way. And somebody who is living in sin, just like I did, and just like many of you did before we came to know Jesus, what was happening is that we were literally dying because of our sins. It is rotting away at our soul, at our spirit, at our mind. It even rots away physically on who we are. And Jesus is saying, you have to go and actually take the salt, the good news gospel message, and rub that salt into every fiber of culture in order to turn it away from being rotten. It's not just taking a little bit of salt and adding it to your wife's cooking because it has no flavor. Not my wife. She's amazing. Your wife. Your wife's cooking. My wife orders food, take out like the best of them. So we're, we are solid, good to go. So how do we transform by being salt? Let me give you a couple of practical things. And these aren't overly complicated. I wanted to keep this real straightforward, very practical. In order for us to be salt in a world that is decaying, you actually have to go spend time in the world. There's no way around that. You got to go, go spend time with people. You have to spend time with people in order to reach people. And I know that sounds weird, but, but how often in our Christian bubbles do all we know are Christians? And in our Christian bubble, we just go from small group to Bible study to church and we go to the store, and we kind of know people, but we really don't know people. And we kind of keep this barrier up for the world. And I'm not saying we go act like the world. I'm not saying we go do everything the world does in order to reach the world. I'm saying that if you're going to reach people, you have to actually go to people. Here's a profound statement from Leadership Ministry Worldwide that, that really spoke a lot to me when I read it. It said, too many believers live as though they are already in heaven, safe and secure from all harm. They do not pay enough attention to this earth, its needs, its turning bad, its decay, its corruption. While on this earth, believers are called to be salts of the earth, not heaven. We are not called to be the salt of heaven, we're called to be the salt of the earth. And listen, too many believers are just living in this this la-la land all alone, isolated from the hurt and the pain and the sorrow and the decaying of sin. If we are going to be salts, we have to go where the hurting people are, period we got to go where people are. And here's the beautiful thing. God's already placed you where the people are. So the problem is not the harvest, as the Bible says. It's the workers. The problem is that not that there's lost. You always have lost. You always have people around you. The problem is, are we willing to actually step outside of our little Christian bubble, outside of our little Christian comfort zone, pull our head out of the sand, and actually see the neighbor across the street that is lost and broken? And then actually go do something about it. See, salt, for it to work, has to be rubbed into every part. If you take just the top coat and forget getting it into the deep, it's still going to rot. And too many people are just kind of covering things up. We make it just palatable. We kind of just go and help just a little bit or we encourage people just a little bit. But we can't reach people unless we actually go to people. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, it says, How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him and who they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. And guess what? You and I are called to preach good news every single day of the week. And so how are people going to turn their attention out of darkness, which maybe they might not know anything other than their lifestyle they're living in right now. And here we are, these shiny, nice Christians walk by every single day we got to open our mouths. we got to share the good news with everybody. Why? Well, because Jesus told us to go be salt of the earth. 
So we got to go spend time with people. And here's the beautiful thing. The next sub point is this. So spend time with people is the first one. The next one is this. When we spend time with them, will you just actually be quiet long enough to listen to them? Just be quiet long enough to hear them. Something I learned a long time ago that if you would just talk less and listen more, you will find so much out about your neighbors, about your coworkers, your classmates. You'll find out about your spouse even. Oh my goodness, could that be true? Just sit and just listen. And actively listen to people. You know, listening is one of the main ways that you can tell that somebody cares for you. When they actually listen to you. When they're not looking at their phone. When they're not cheating by looking at their Apple Watch because their phone's away, but they're still looking down every two seconds. Do you ever talk to somebody and you're trying to be serious and they're just looking right through you? They're looking past you? To be present in the moment with the intentionality to show just that you care. Just that you care. Just that you're there to listen. I find that a lot of times all people want is somebody to listen. And that's not hard, and it's free. It's easy to do. And so why are we talking about this? Well, this is what Jesus did. I, I want to take us to Luke 24. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. As I was thinking about this, I, I mean, honestly, kind of the God just brought me to this verse and just was like, Andy, just read what Jesus did and just do what Jesus does. How many know that we'd be better off that if we would just do what Jesus did, like we don't have to make it really complicated, just do what he did. Here's a good example of Jesus caring enough for two guys as they're walking in their sorrow just to listen and to share good news and watch what happens. So Jesus is meeting with somebody named Cleopas and his companion, and they had been in Jerusalem. So now picture, this is right after his crucifixion trial, crucifixion burial, they leave Jerusalem to go back to Emmaus, which is seven miles away, and they're walking. Now, what happened the week prior? Well, the week prior is Passover week, which means what? Well, that means that people from all over the region all went to Jerusalem for Passover. That's why Jesus and his disciples were there for their Passover. Well, while Passover's happening, that's when Jesus is captured. He's got this public trial. He's crucified. So it wasn't during this real quiet time in the city. There are people from everywhere. And these two people are believers. And so they walk away sad. And as they're walking seven miles down this path, they're just talking about the weekend. And I love this passage because it's so real of just our life. Verse 13, it says, That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened, meaning the weekend, meaning trial, crucifixion, all the stuff. While they were discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and just started walking with them. And I love this. This is the, now the second time or so we've seen this happen in a short period of time. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And similar to Mary. Mary is at the tomb and Jesus shows up. She thinks he's the gardener. These two guys are walking and they're talking about the weekend and Jesus just starts walking with them. He just walks up. He's freshly out of the tomb. Uh, he's got that that kind of new life glow about him. You know, I'm not sure how to word what he probably was like, but he's just walking. He's, he's alive, so that, that's a bonus. So he's walking with them. And Jesus says to them, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And watch what happens. It says they stood still and they were looking sad. I'm not going to read the whole rest of it, but I'm going to summarize it. So as they're walking, so Jesus comes along. Hey, what are you guys talking about? And they just stopped and they just looked sad. And they kind of look at Jesus and they say, well, where have you been, was their response. 
Kind of like where you're living under a rock. Come on, good Jesus joke here. I was in a rock. Come on, somebody. I was dead in a rock. Get it? I don't know. After the first service, somebody came up and they were like, yeah, that wasn't a good one. They don't all work. And so Jesus is like, well, tell me about the weekend. What happened? And so these guys literally recount the story of Jesus being crucified. We know that somewhere along the way, Jesus just begins to share the gospel with them. He begins to share scripture with them. And so they're walking, they're saddened. They still don't know it's Jesus. You can imagine Jesus is being told by two guys what happened to him. And he's just walking. He hasn't told them like, oh, hey, my name's Jesus, by the way. Nice to meet you. They get to the town, and these guys invite Jesus to come eat with them. And so Jesus does. He goes in, he sits down to have a meal. And then when he broke the bread, he disappeared out of their sight. And immediately they say, well, didn't our hearts burn while he was talking to us? But the last line of that passage, which is the hope, is that Jesus spends time there filled with hope. And this is what they say, the Lord has risen indeed. Now, here's why I share that, that passage, because it's not hard. It's not hard just to walk with somebody, just to listen to them, listen to their heartbreak, listen to their life, to their hopes, to their dreams. What a beautiful model Jesus does with two people just walking on a road, and they're sad. And he just listens. And where he can, he interjects hope, and he interjects scripture. And he sits, and guess what he does? He has a meal with them. Connection, community. He's valuing the time. This is the Son of God, which, by the way, has just risen. And he could have went anywhere with anybody, done anything. The first thing he does is goes to a woman by the tomb who's crying and broken. Next, he goes to his disciples who are hiding and afraid. He shows up on a road with two guys. Only one of them is named. We don't even know who the other person is. And they're just walking to Emmaus. We never hear about him again. That's the kind of Jesus we serve who I love, that Jesus is just willing to walk with me. And he's willing to walk with you. But he also tells his disciples to go do the same thing. So we got to spend time with people and listen to them. One of the greatest ways is what would happen if we just journey with people around us? We just walk with them through their hard moments of life. We're just an ear for them to listen to, and we're looking for ways and opportunities to share the hope and to share the good news with them. Tell you what happens. It opens up people for what's going on. The third little sub-point is this. So spending time with people, praying for them. The third thing that it does, which is, again, so practical, is as you listen to them, you're listening for ways to pray for them and to care for them well. See, again, one of the reasons why we need to listen to one another is we get to hear and know how to pray for them, how to care for them, and ultimately how to serve them and share the gospel with them. It's proactive listening. It's listening with intention. And here's a couple reminders of why prayer is so valuable. Why does prayer matter? Well, if I'm listening to Mark, and Mark is telling me about his two kids, and, and one's playing cross-country, one's in soccer, and his wife and his family, and I get to hear him, and I, as I'm listening to him, I'm hearing things that may be stressing him out a little bit. Maybe it's making him a little anxious. Maybe there's things going on in his life that he's just kind of subtly sharing. And I'm listening for ways. Now I know how to pray for Mark. Now I know how to actually pray for by name and by what's going on in his life. Instead of just a broad prayer, well, I pray for my work. Well, that's great, but what if you pray for the guy next to you because you know exactly what he's going through? And here's what prayer does. A couple of real quick encouraging things about prayer. The first thing about prayer that is so true is that it causes us to trust in God. When I pray, 
it causes me to ask God for things, which means I have to trust him. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. It's this trust that happens, that as I pray, I'm going to trust that God's going to hear what exactly I'm saying. And I just want to encourage you that we serve a God, and you can, you can read about it all through the Old Testament and the New Testament that specifically says a God that does not sleep, does not slumber, is not slow, is not ignorant to your cries, a God that's not out busy with some other country and some other people, that God actually cares about you. How fascinating is that? That the God of the universe knows you by name, knows everything about you, and he hears every prayer you pray. Not only that, it also says that he knows every thought you have. He knows even the motives of your heart. So you want to talk to somebody that actually knows you, it's God. So why not go to him and pray and trust that the God who knows you that intimately actually cares enough about you to answer? Because the second thing about prayer that I I love is that God answers prayer. Come on, somebody. You believe that God answers prayer? I hope so. I hope you do. And if not, then I hope that you'll have the faith enough to at least ask him for it because God does answer prayer. In 1 John 5, 14, it says, this is the confidence that we have. The confidence that I have is that if I ask anything according to his will, that he hears it and he answers it. That God answers prayer. He might not answer it the way you want, and I think that's where we get in problems and that's where we get in trouble. Because what we want to do is pray and then tell God how to answer our prayer. So God, here's my prayer request, and I want you to answer it this way. And if he doesn't, then we say that God doesn't hear us. Well, maybe God heard you and he didn't want to answer your prayer because it it was not a good prayer. Well, like, what if he didn't want to answer your prayer because he knew that if he answered your prayer, it would probably lead to worse things? Or maybe he did answer your prayer, but you're so focused on how you think he should answer it that you missed the way he answered it. And again, then we turn to God and say, well, God, where have you been? You're not answering our prayers. And God's going, I've been answering your prayer. All the answers are right here. It's just not the way you wanted me to answer your prayer. But when we pray, we have to trust that he hears us, that he answers us. And here's the third thing about prayer that I want to encourage you with, especially when it ties into praying for other people. Prayer has a tendency to release our burdens and our pain. When prayer is done right, and it's a heart prayer, it really does release the burden and the pain that we feel. And we can also help other people release their burden and their pain. Again, we are are our own worst enemies when it comes to it because we know that. In fact, at the end of the service here, in just a few minutes, we have enough time at the end. We're going to do one of our favorite things, and that is to pray for church people as we close in worship. And I love that time so much. But I also know that too many of you come up front and pray, and you leave it there. And then before you leave the room, you go back and pick it back up. And you take it with you. How do I know you do that? Because I've done that. I'll, I'll, I'll open my heart up to God, and I'll pray, and I'll, I'll feel great. And I'll be like, okay, amen. Oh, that felt so good. Let me go pick it all back up and then take it with me. For some reason, we just kind of keep doing that as opposed to just releasing it to God. Philippians 4, 6 to 7 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in all things, everything, by prayer and supplications, make them known to God. We're able to take the anxiousness and the fear and the worry and the doubt and say, here, Jesus, you asked me. Do you know that Jesus actually asked you for those things in your life? You're not meant to carry the burdens. You're not meant to carry the shame. You're not meant to carry the doubt or the fear or the anxiousness. Jesus himself said, hey, just give them to me. 
and leave them with me. If I can encourage you, and this is only something that you and God can do because nobody can do this for you, right? Nobody can do this for you. Can I just encourage that when you pray today, when we pray at the end, whatever it is you have to give to God, we just leave it here? Just leave it at the feet of Jesus and leave here free from that. So how do we transform the world by being salt? We have to go spend time with people. You got to take the salt and get into every fiber of a decaying culture. We have to spend time with them. We have to listen to them, truly listen to people. And then we got to be able to pray for them. And then it hurts to turn to the light. Let's talk about the light. The second part of the message is how do we transform our city by being light? How do we actually do this? I came across a quote from Spurgeon uh, that is just powerful. It's up here on the screen as well, so you don't miss it. It says, poor world, poor world. It is dark and gropes in midnight. And it cannot get light except it receives it through us. If ye burn dimly, dim is the world's light, and dense is the darkness. That is a strong statement. This world is dark and it is groping for answers. And Jesus, the way that he determined how to get his light into the world, is through his followers. And by the way, the light that we're supposed to give to the world is not your light. It's not the light of a church, necessarily, or a ministry. It is to reflect the face of Jesus to a world that is dark and dying. That's what Scripture speaks about. You know, when it speaks about the light of the world, there's two camps. I told you before, the church and individuals. Oftentimes, when God is speaking to Israel, he's speaking to Israel and to the church. And Isaiah 42, 6 says, I'm the Lord, I've called you to righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for all the nations. Again, in Isaiah 49, 6, says, I will make you as a light for nations that my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. So God indeed wants to use a church like Crossroads to be the city on a hill to shine into the darkest areas of the triangle. And what if one of our goals as the church people was to take the light of the gospel into every dark area of the triangle and penetrate that darkness by reflecting the face of Jesus. Because here's the beautiful thing about the light. I don't have to manufacture it. You don't have to make the light. The light is Jesus. Do you hear me? You don't have to create it. You don't have to be good enough or try hard enough to make that light. It it is literally, as I spend time with Jesus, his face should be reflecting off of me into the world around me. In John 8, 12 and John 9, 5, he says, I am the light of the world. That's who Jesus is. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he says it this way. It says, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity as the world gets darker to reflect the face of Jesus brighter. I think so often we, we carry the burden like we have to do that or we have to do something, which we do. We have to reflect Jesus to the world around us. And in the darkest places, we have seen the face of Jesus shine the brightest. In other words, church, there's hope for our community. Amen? Amen. There's hope for your school. There's hope for your job. There's hope for your family. And the hope is found in the light of the world. So how do we actually do this practically? Again, I want to get to practical things. We have to look for opportunities to serve and to care for people. So that's the, kind of the fourth one in the rhythm of five, spending time with people, listening to people, pray for them. But the other one is, this, is to look for ways to serve them well. 
and to care for them. Here's three questions I want you to write down that I want you to pray through this week. Write these down. Three questions. Where has God placed me? That's the first question. Where has God placed me? And write it out. Your school, your job, maybe the club you go to, your community, your family, your neighborhood, your apartment. Where, where has God actually placed you? Just to take a moment and say, okay, God, these are all the environments that you've put me in, whether I like them or not, whether I like my job or not, or my house or not, or my neighbors, whatever it is, God, this is where you place me. The second question is this, who has God brought me? So not only where has God placed me, but I guarantee if you think long enough, you'll start to think of names that God has brought around you. In other words, people who need what you have, who need hope, who need the good news. Who is it? Who's God put in your circle of people around you? And maybe it's just a few people. Maybe it's hundreds of people. I don't know. But again, just to name that out loud. And the third question is, what opportunity has God opened? What, what opportunity has God opened? Just to think about that again for a moment of, God's put me here. He's put these people around me. What opportunity now do I have to actually be salt and light here? In Matthew 5, 16, it says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Remember, Jesus told them that. So let your light shine. But you notice how he put in there that they could see your good works in order to give glory to God because of what you're doing. Ephesians 2.10, it says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Titus 3.1 says to always be ready for the good work that God has for them. To be looking for ways to serve people, to share the good news with people, which is the final thing this morning I want to say is this. If we're going to be light, we have to share the light with them, but we also have to share with them the story and the good news. You've got to share with them the good news message. At some point, we, get, we can't just be good people because there's a lot of good people that don't know Jesus, but how are we good people who know Jesus with the purpose and the intentionality that, that I'm going to serve you, not to get anything from you, by the way. That's not serving. I'm going to serve you to really bless you and to help you, but I'm also looking for an opportunity just to share the good news. I go back to Jesus walking with the two guys. He's walking with them, and they're having a hard time, and he's just looking for opportunity to encourage them with the good news, with the gospel. Again, what would happen if we answer those questions? Well, God, you put me here in this business. I got these people around me. You've given me opportunity to serve them well so that I can actually share the story with them. Here's my prayer for us, Colossians chapter 4. I want you to write this verse down so you can circle it. This is a prayer that I would challenge you, starting today, take the next couple of weeks and every day pray this prayer. Every day just, just pray this posture prayer because here's what it says and I love I love what it says it says pray that God may open a door for the word to declare the mysteries of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak the prayer is this God open a door for your word that I may declare the mysteries of Jesus and do it clearly what a great prayer that is. It's not hard. And listen, there are so many opportunities, by the way, so many opportunities. If you just think about your day and how many opportunities every day there is just to encourage somebody, just to share some good news with somebody. Colossians 4, 6, he goes on and says, let your speech 
Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each person. So there it is again, that, that little saltiness that add that little flavor to how we speak to one another. There's opportunities every single day. And they're not hard. We just have to be intentional about them. Literally, this happened just uh, two days ago. Uh, two days ago, I was in a hurry to go pick my daughter up, and I was running late, and I had to pick her up because she was at a tournament and was coming back. And so I'm getting ready, and I was like, I'm going to be a good dad. I'm going to swing by and grab some food for on the way, uh, you know, to win Dad of the Day Award, which is a competition, of course, that we all know. And so I, I get in line, and there's only a couple of cars in front of me, and it is taking forever. When I say forever, I mean forever. Like it's, it's, it was like 15, 20 minutes. Nobody's moving. And the people in front of me are losing their minds. You could hear them yelling out the window to these poor teenagers. By the way, 18, 17, 16-year-olds, they're like yelling at them. Like, I mean, you could hear them yelling back and forth at them. And finally the food comes. And, and honestly, I was waiting because I was in a hurry. There was a piece of me going, yeah, tell them, you know. You tell them. I got a place to be. Like, let's get going here. I was getting irritated. And, I, and I'm not an irritable person. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like what is, I can't go. There's somebody behind me. I can't get out of line. I'm, st- I'm stuck. I'm stuck. And so at, the mo- at that same moment, though, I'm like, you know what? It's all, it's fine. Everything's fine. It's good. You know, I'm just kind of sitting there waiting. People are yelling at them. And I pull up, and I realize that the two teenagers go to Crossroads. <laughs> and they, they were like, oh, Pastor. Like, they were so beat down and broken. I'm like, hey, you're doing awesome. Don't worry about those jerks in front of me. You're fine. You're, and in the background, I'm going, you better hurry this up. I got place. I got to get going. But it was good just to take a moment, and I'm glad I did that right. Like, I'm glad I wasn't the third car going, let's move it, teenagers. Teenagers are the worst. Like, let's go. We got to move it. I'm so glad. I was just like, it's fine. And I, I'm attitude. I didn't know who they were, so I pulled up. And they're like, Pastor. I'm like, oh, yay. Praise the Lord. Yeah. You're amazing. Lord, bless you and keep you and give me my food. Let's go. Let's go. But I, the point of that... <laughs> is just a little kindness from their pastor. I could tell immediately just they smiled. They didn't feel, I mean, they, were, they had tears. And, I, mean, it was, I mean, when I say, I'm joking, but it was bad. Like the people were yelling at them ferociously. The tears in their eyes and they finally they felt so, oh, little breath there. It's not hard. It's not hard to be kind. It's not hard to be light in dark places, even amongst ourselves to encourage one another. And so when I say think about where you are and think about what God's put around you and think about the people that he's brought to you and the opportunities, when I say it's all the time, it is literally all the time. And what would happen if we just did what Jesus says and just take that salt and put it into the rotten world of sin around us, that it reflect the face of Jesus to the world around us? I'm telling you, we will see lives changed. And it's not hard. Is this hard? It's not hard. But it's being intentional. And it's being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. That is not easy. And it's reflecting his face to the world around us. 